this place that I'm in seems so This weight on my chest Seems more than I can bear I can't see where this is going to end But I'll stay on my knees till then If that's what it takes to break my will to make me still enough to hear your voice then I'll trust in you oh Lord if that's what it takes to realize without you I'm just going the wrong way living life in vain Lord humble me a little more each day if that's what it takes This is not the path I'd ever choose for me But Lord, you see the bigger picture And the man that I can be. So, Lord, I'll give you all my fears. And I'll cry a few more tears. If that's what it takes to break my will, to make me still enough to hear your voice. Then I'll trust in you, oh Lord, if that's what it takes to realize without you I'm just going the wrong way, living life in vain. Lord, humble me a little more each day, if that's what it takes. That's what it takes to give my all and totally surrender to your plan. Though I may not understand, Lord, give me strength to make it one more day. If that's what it takes. That's what it takes. Ooh. Amen. Let's let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, may that be our earnest desire, our earnest prayer, if that's what it takes. Lord, if that's what it takes to follow you, if that's what it takes for you to change me, 
That what, that's what it takes for you to break my will, to break my pride, to mold me into the person you want me to be. I'm willing, Lord. Do your work in me, Father. You are the potter and I am the clay. Father, thank you for your faithfulness in growing us, in working on us, in working in us, in changing us to be more like your Son. We pray that you will visit with us now, Lord, and help us to have open ears and open hearts as we study your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I read an article recently about a record number of army recruits in the UK that are dropping out. One-third of army recruits in the UK are dropping out of basic infantry training. Ten years ago, the number was one in four. Today, it's more than one in three. New recruits that are dropping out of the army before the end of the tough 24-week training course. And the number has risen sharply over the last five years. And it's so bad that the British Ministry of Defense has recently released a report revealing that the armed forces of Great Britain are now more than 5,000 men and women under strength. And when asked what prompted their decision, it was interesting to hear what the new recruits listed as some of those factors. One, the growing casualty rate of deployed soldiers in conflicts throughout the Middle East. You could see that. Two, the low pay of trained infantry soldiers, which is a shame. Three, the physical and mental toll of training. Four, the emotional strain of separation from loved ones. The article concluded that besides additional incentives and, and better pay, the military has to do a better job of properly setting expectations during the recruiting process, right? Recruiters were found to have too often oversold or embellished the military life in order to persuade young men and women to sign up. It wasn't what I expected was the prevailing statement made by recruits who were quitting. It's a sobering requirement to know what to expect in anything we pursue in life. We should know and understand what it takes, what it takes of us, what it requires of us, what it truly costs. Know the cost of what you're signing up for. So often we're, we're busy with the dazzle and the promise of the product that, and its potential for us. We forget to count the cost. What is this going to take? What's it going to cost? As followers of Christ, it's even more important to know and understand what it costs. What does it cost to follow Christ? What does it cost to live a life of true discipleship? Jesus never overpromised anything. He never oversold the life, the life of discipleship. He never promised a life free of care and, 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 and trouble. He never claimed the Christian life would be an easy road without pain or loss or trial. He was very accurate, very deliberate. He was very careful in reminding those who wanted to follow him to truly count the cost before making that life-changing decision. Turn with me to our text this morning, or you can look up at the video screens, to Luke chapter 14. We're going to read from verses 25 to 33. Luke 14, 25 to 33. Now great multitudes 
were going with him. He turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and doesn't disregard his own father, mother, wife, children, brothers, and sisters, yes, and, and his own life also, he can't be my disciple. Whoever doesn't bear his own cross and come after me can't be my disciple. For which of you desiring to, to build a tower doesn't first sit down and count the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Or perhaps when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, everyone who sees begins to mock him, saying, this man began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or, or what king, as he goes to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else while the other is Yet a great way off, he sends an envoy and asks for conditions of peace. So therefore, whoever of you doesn't renounce all that he has, he can't be my disciple. It's sobering, isn't it? It takes a serious and sober commitment to follow Christ. It isn't something we undertake on a whim. It isn't something we try like a, like a new fad or a new diet. There's no trial version of true discipleship. It's all in or don't bother. The commitment is serious. The cost is great, but the benefits are indescribable. Amen? Every year, we have a general meeting. We all gather together, and we cover every single ministry that's done in the church. And we put the ministries on the screen, and one by one, we go over them, we list them, and and who's fulfilling those, and who's assigned to those. And it's inevitable every year that some people comment, wow, it's a lot of the same names uh, in many ministries. Why aren't there different people in those ministries? And the short answer is, well, it's hard to find people who are finishers. That's the reality. See, what we've experienced over the years is that too often, and usually right after those meetings, Folks get excited and volunteer to serve. I, I want to serve more. I want to do more for the Lord. And that's a wonderful desire. It's the greatest desire we can have. And so they're given new ministries, new responsibilities, and they start. They start with enthusiasm and energy. They're world-class starters. It's always exciting to start something new. But finishing is a whole different thing. Enduring is a whole different story. And what happens is soon after they start, they start to make comments. Oh, wow, it's every week? Oh, wow, it's, it's more, more, more difficult than I thought. That takes a lot. You've got to prepare? I thought it was just here in the building. Oh, okay, wow, this is, this is harder than, than I anticipated. And as soon as they start, they bow out. And like those UK military recruits, they fail to properly count the cost of what it's going to take, what commitment takes. Today we're going to look at that. We're going to look at the cost of commitment. We're going to study the process of what it takes to be a disciple of Christ. We're going to look at the steps we need to go through for true discipleship. What it takes. That's the title of our sermon. We're going to look at four steps to true discipleship. The first step we are called out. We are born into sin and born into this world, but to become a true disciple of Christ, step one is to be called out. 
to be set apart from this world. When Jesus prayed to his Father for his disciples, he prayed this in John 17, 6. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. He describes his disciples as being called out of the world. We are called out. We are set apart. We have been saved and redeemed by the blood of Christ on Calvary. And when we make that choice, and it is a choice, don't let anyone take the choice out of it. Don't let any ideology take free will out of that. When we choose to accept Jesus as our Savior and receive him into our hearts, we become called out of the world. We are called out of the darkness. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We step out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Upon salvation, our spiritual state is set apart and called out of the world. But being called out for discipleship doesn't stop there. We must live a life worthy of that calling. Ephesians 4.1, Paul reminds us, he says, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. That's convicting, isn't it? Is your walk worthy of what Christ has called you to? Worthy. My commentary explains it this way. Axios, or worthy, has the root meaning of balancing the scales, right? What is on one side of the scale should be equal in weight to what is on the other side. By extension, the word came to be applied to anything that was expected to correspond to something else. Like a person worthy of his pay was one whose day's work corresponded to his day's wages. The believer who walks in a manner worthy of the calling with which he has been called is one whose daily living corresponds to his high position as child of God and fellow heir with Jesus. His practical living matches his spiritual position. We must live a life that is set apart to match our spiritual state of being set apart. We are in this world, but we should not be of it. There should be a clear distinction in our lives. Someone should be able to identify us as Christians by our lifestyle, by our speech, by our stands, by the friends we associate with, the places we go, the actions we take. I don't think we need to dive into specifics about how to live a life worthy of our calling. You, you don't really ever hear a Christian say, I don't know how to live for Christ. We know. We know. God gives us the Holy Spirit to convict us. The difficulty isn't knowing the right thing to do. It's doing it. It's having the strength to do it. Right? The problem isn't the design. It's the execution. In our hearts, in our convictions, we know the right thing to do. Right? If there's any question, if something's questionable, don't do it. Don't go there. George asked his friend to come to a party, to which his friend replied, sure, but only if I can bring a friend. George said, oh, who, who's your friend? He said, Jesus. George quickly replied, oh, I don't think he'd be welcomed at this party. And he answered, then neither would I be. Don't you think that it's time to decide that if Jesus couldn't be there, 
or do that or see something, then we shouldn't either. Jesus tasked us to be salt and light in this world. Salt is in the food. Salt is on the food, but salt is not the food. Right? It changes the food. The food doesn't change the salt. Likewise, light invades the darkness, but does not become part of it. It changes the darkness. The problem today is that we have allowed too much of the world in us. Someone said the ship's place is the sea, but God pity the ship when the sea gets into it. The Christian's place is the world, but God pity the Christian if the world gets into him. 1 John 2.15-17 through 17 warns us, Do not love this world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. And the world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. Friend, are you living a life that is called out and set apart for Christ? That's the, that's the question we have to answer. Is your life a shining testimony of Jesus to a lost and dying world? Or have you allowed so much of the world to infiltrate your mind, your heart, your actions, your thoughts, and your life that it's really hard to tell the difference anymore? We've heard that great question many times. If you were on trial for your Christianity, would there be enough evidence to convict you? How evident is Christ in your life? How evident is Christ in your language, in your lifestyle, and in your priorities? How evident is Christ when you walk out those doors, in your workplace, in your school, in your neighborhood, in your home? Are you living a life that is called out? That's the first step of discipleship. The first step. We must be called out and we must stay called out by living a life worthy of that calling. Amen. The second step, we must be cleaned out. When we're saved, our sins are canceled at the cross of Calvary. We are washed clean by his blood and our standing in Christ is permanent. Nothing can take that away but there's still much cleansing that has to take place in our lives as disciples of Christ, right? Our characters, our principles, our thought processes, our attitudes, they must all be changed, altered, aligned with Him. God must replace our worldly thinking with His perspective. He must align our principles with Him. He must alter our attitudes to be godly, and he must form our character to be more like Jesus. And little by little and bit by bit, he does. He does if we let him. He will break our pride and, and change our dependence to be upon him instead of upon our own selves. And he will shift our focus and change our view of ourselves and others. And he will give us spirits and hearts of compassion. Sounds great, doesn't it? Sign me up. God flips the switch and we instantly become more like Jesus. Isn't that great? I wish it was that simple. The process is called a process for a reason. It takes time. It takes pain. It takes trials. It takes breaking. It takes sacrifice. It takes seeking Him constantly, disciplining ourselves to spend 
time and commune with him. And it takes an exchange of wills, as, as Bill McDonald used to say, right? Daily, we give him our will and we take his. Is it easy? No. Is it quick? No. We have a human nature that will fight us tooth and nail to not change because it goes against everything that is natural to us. It goes against everything that is comfortable to us. It goes against everything this world preaches to us. But it's God's will for our lives. Colossians 3, 5 to 10 says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. Put to death these things. Killing them is hard, isn't it? They're very much alive and, and powerful in our old nature. It takes very deliberate, explicit action and discipline on our part. And the good news is God is there to help us. We're not alone. He gives us strength in our efforts. And when we make that effort, when we take that step to live right, to abandon the things He wants us to leave behind, when we pursue Him, and his ways instead of our desires and our priorities, guess what happens? We change. We become more like Jesus. The change in our hearts shows up in our lives. It shows up in our speech. It shows in our relationships with others and how we treat them. It shows in our attitudes. It shows in our perspective of how we, we begin to view things. It shows up in our choices. We make the effort to clean up our lives. He makes the change in our characters. It's a time-tested recipe. But once again, we want to circumvent the process, right? Too long, too much work, too much effort, too much sacrifice. So instead of genuinely allowing God to change us to be more like Jesus, let's just act the part, right? We come to church. We put on beautiful smiles. We say all the right words. We even serve whenever and wherever we're asked. We look and sound like the ideal Christian. And then we walk out those doors and we can be comfortable again in our own skin. Out comes the speech that God would never approve of. Out comes the, the anger and the rage that no one would believe we had. Out comes the selfishness that hurts everyone around us. Out come the relationships that we know aren't right. Out come the books and the articles and the movies and the shows we shouldn't be watching. And so what is accomplished by our thinly veiled show? So you fool a couple hundred people at church. Are you really changed? Are you really clean? Are you really helping yourself? It's got to be exhausting living both lives. God wants to genuinely change you from the inside. And if you let him, the person you want people to see you as will no longer be an act. That's worth every effort we can make. 
We need to put in the work to take the steps to walk away from things he wants us to leave behind, to throw away those thoughts that we shouldn't be thinking and dwelling on, to focus on him and spend time with him and his word, and he will do the rest. He'll do the transforming. He'll flip the switch. He'll make the change in you. You will be clean and ready to be used for his kingdom. Amen? We must be called out. We must be cleaned out. And third, we must be sold out. And this one involves our priorities. Our lives are filled with so many factors, people, causes, everything pulling at our time. Right, and so often we feel there's far more to do than can be accomplished in 24 hours. And they may all be worthwhile causes, working hard for that promotion, volunteering on this board, Helping with that effort, they may all be good things in and of themselves, but we have to ask ourselves honestly, are they the best things I can be doing? Or in the end, are they really just clutter? See, we have to learn to separate what really matters, what really counts, what's really important in our lives from the clutter. I hate clutter. I'm always trying to teach my kids to put things where they belong. Everything you have should have a purpose and a place, right? If it has no purpose or place, guess what? Get rid of it. Yeah, new parents, uh-huh. <laughs> Our lives are the same way. They're too often filled with useless clutter that has no eternal purpose and exists only to draw our attention and keep us busy and keep us spinning. Being busy is the number one excuse we use to bow out of making God the highest priority in our lives, of spending more time with Him, spending more time with His people, of making His work our greatest focus. I would, but I'm too busy. I wish I could, but I have too much to do. I'm too busy. We're all running around with chores of life. When we're young, we're too busy playing. I get that a lot from my kids. I can't come right now, I'm, I'm, I'm too busy, I'm busy. You're six, what are you busy with? <laughs> when I say come, you come, that's it. I'll give you something that'll keep you busy for a long time. <laughs> too busy. When we're students, we're too busy studying. I've been there, I've been there. Students, I see you studying on Monday and Wednesday nights here at church, doing homework, studying in the fellowship room. And I would challenge you to close, close the books, close the homework for those precious few minutes and open your Bibles and your hearts. Listen to the Word of God. Do your homework after the Bible study and watch how God will honor you. I know whereof I speak. How do you think I got through school? I was a high school senior. I had five AP classes. I was crazy. <laughs> I was stupid. But I wanted to get into Berkeley. And my parents drilled it into me. Honor God first, and he will give you the desire of your heart. The Bible before the textbooks. I listened. I put God first. I put the Bible studies first. I stopped bringing the textbooks to church with me. I passed every AP exam. I graduated with a 4.7 GPA 
And when I received my acceptance letter to Cal, my parents were the first ones to remind me, I will honor those who honor me. I'm not bragging because that wasn't me. I achieved nothing other than putting God first in my life. And he did the rest. So students, don't be too busy with homework to give God that little bit of time. Give God that one hour a week for Bible study. Sorry, Lord, I'm, I'm too busy studying. When we're older, we're too busy working. Sorry, Lord, I have deadlines. Sorry, Lord, I'm too busy with my kid's soccer schedule. Sorry, Lord, I'm too busy with my PTA, my HOA, my MBA. There'll always be something. Right? We're always going to be busy. Everyone is busy. The question we have to ask ourselves is, what are we busy with? And why? Max Lucado says it so well. He writes, being busy is not a sin. Jesus was busy. Paul was busy. Peter was busy. Nothing of significance is achieved without effort and hard work and weariness. Being busy in and of itself is not a sin, but being busy in an endless pursuit of things that leave us empty and hollow and broken inside, that cannot be pleasing to God. So we have to prioritize our busyness. I heard a great quote the other day that said, give God what is right, not what is left. God wants our first fruits. He had one son, and he gave him up to die for you. You really can't give him that time? You really can't give him that priority? God wants to refocus our efforts and our energy. He wants us to change our priorities to things that matter for him. That's what being sold out for Christ means. We put him and his causes above anything else in our lives. We give him everything, all of ourselves, all of our thoughts and our hearts and our efforts. We love recklessly. We give selflessly. We serve without any thought of ourselves. We hold nothing back. Ravi Zacharias tells the story about a boy that loved collecting marbles. And he lived next door to a girl who had a lot of candy. And she said to him, if you'll give me all of your marbles, I'll give you all of my candy. He said he'd think about it. And the next day, he hid a few marbles in his room, and he offered the rest to the little girl. Here's all my marbles. And he, she gave him her candy. And that night, he could not get to sleep. He tossed, and he turned, and he turned, and he tossed all night long because he was so troubled. And what do you think troubled him so much he couldn't sleep? What troubled him was the thought, did she really give me all her candy? <laughs> That's us, isn't it? Right? So often we want all that God has to give us, but we hold back what we give him. That's not being sold out. That's not giving him our all. That's not being all in. James 4, 7 says, So give yourselves completely to God. Stand against the devil and the devil will run from you. When Julius Caesar landed on the shores of Britain with his Roman legions, 
He took a bold and decisive step to ensure the success of this military venture of his. Ordering his men to march to the edge of the cliffs of Dover, he commanded them to look down at the water below. Go ahead, look. And to their amazement, they saw every ship in the fleet in which they had crossed the channel engulfed in flames. Caesar had deliberately cut off any possibility of retreat. He burned his own ships. No going back. Now that his soldiers were unable to return to the continent, there was no choice. There was nothing left for them to do but to advance and conquer. And that's exactly what they did. That's it. Lord, I want to burn every ship in my life that leads me away from you. I want to live all in. I want to serve you with everything I have. I want to live for you with everything I am. That's commitment, friend. That's true commitment. And that, and that commitment can't waver. It can't change over time. It can't be a hot coal and then fizzle. Right? We have to endure. We have to continue no matter the difficulty, no matter the environment, no matter how many times we may fail, no matter how many times we may fall. We get up. We keep going. We're committed to persevere. James 1.12 reminds us, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Perseverance. When we first bought our house 13 years ago, I put up a bird seed feeder that did a wonderful job of attracting the most beautiful birds. Well, it also attracted one very curious squirrel <laughs> who was able to get the seed at will and feast as much as he wanted. And when Haley was a toddler, she affectionately named him Diddy. Well, as cute as Diddy was, I went through several bird feeders which promised to fend off and ward off squirrels to no avail. I tried probably half a dozen. He found a way to get to that seed no matter what I did. Finally, I found the perfect one. Squirrel be gone. <laughs> if the company was public, I'd buy stock in it. It's brilliant. It collapses to hide the seed. If anything heavier than a bird, tries to sit there or attempt to get to it. So I put it up, and the squirrel tried everything. Diddy threw himself at it. He climbed, he jumped down at it, he jumped up to it, he dove for it, he tried everything. And he couldn't get to it. And he fails every time, and he falls every time. And, and it's thoroughly entertaining to watch him and so much effort, and so much planning, and he fails every time. It's now been 13 years he keeps trying. 13 years. I don't know, he may have died. It might be a different squirrel. Sorry, Haley. But this squirrel never relents. He keeps going at it and going at it, and he falls, and he retreats, he regroups, he re-strategizes, and he shows up again. And he keeps trying. I'm at the point now where I just want to give the squirrel some bird seed. As a reward for his perseverance, I feel so bad. I want to be like Diddy. I want to get up and keep going no matter how many times I fall. No matter how many times I fail, I'm going to keep trying. I want to endure. 
That not only because the cause of Christ is just and right, not only because the message of Christ is the only thing to bring salvation to a dying world, but also because there's a great reward waiting at the finish line. I want to live sold out for Christ. I want to give him my all. I want to make him the first and highest priority in my life. And I want to continue despite any circumstance, storm, or situation I may face. Amen? We must be called out. We must be cleaned out. We must be sold out. And finally, we are sent out. Jesus prayed to his Father in John 17, 18. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. In identifying with Christ, we're not only not of this world, but we're sent back into this world on a redemptive mission. Those whom Jesus calls, he sends. And ascending so significant that receiving his sent ones amounts to receiving him. John 13, 20 says, Very truly I tell you, Whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me. And whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. Okay, Lord, I'm ready. I'm ready to be sent out. Where do I travel to? To which country should I go first? What's, what's my itinerary? Friend, your mission field is where God has planted you. Bloom there. Working men and women... That workplace is your mission field. Work with integrity and show how Christ can make a difference. Students, your school is your mission field. Study hard and make an impression on those around you to lead them to Christ. Mother, those children are your mission. That kitchen table is your mission field. Raise them in Christ in order to lead them to Christ. In your neighborhood, with your relatives, amongst your co-workers, in your family. We all have a mission right where we are. Max Lucado famously said to aspiring missionaries, what makes you think they'll listen to you overseas if they won't listen to you across the hall? Start with the mission field God has given you. Look, we, we all have a desire to serve more, to do more, but we're mistaken if we think we, we need to go somewhere different or, or do something bigger to be more effective for Christ. He has placed you where you are for a reason. There is someone in your life you are uniquely qualified to reach, and only you. Be prepared. Be willing. Be ready. Whether it's 3,000 miles away or in your own neighborhood, God has sent you out for a reason. Some years ago, Kathleen Harris wrote a great song. You're the only Jesus some will ever see. It was made popular by the Imperials in Christian music. And its lyrics still ring so true today. If not you, I wonder where will they ever find the one who really cares? If not you, how will they find the one who heals the broken heart, gives sight to the blind? If not you, I wonder who will show them love and love alone can make things new. If not you, how will they learn there's one who will trade their hopelessness for joy in return? Because you're the only Jesus some will ever see. You're the only words of life 
some will ever read. So let them see in you the one in whom is all they'll ever need. You're the only Jesus some will ever see. How true it is. We are his representatives. We represent him and we should reflect him in our stands, in our words, and in our actions. May we be willing to be his witness wherever he places us and to whoever he places in our lives. Amen? Amen. That's truly the mission of Christian discipleship. We are called out. We are cleaned out. We must be sold out before we are sent out. That's what it takes. That's the cost and the path of true discipleship. Wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait a minute. True disciple. We're talking about true discipleship. I didn't hear a thing about seminary, theology degrees, certificates of biblical studies. If we had it our way, there'd be a very well-defined program for achieving spiritual maturity and becoming a disciple of Christ. Right? Pass this class, earn this degree, receive this diploma, and you're there. Ha, I've arrived. This degree will serve as my resume of spiritual maturity. <laughs> Friends, spiritual maturity is not how much you know about the Bible, but how much you apply it. If I'm choosing a soldier to do battle on my side, the last guy I'd pick is the newbie fresh out of training. I want the battle-hardened, battle-tested veteran who's been through it, who's seen it all and is still standing. And that broken vessel is who Christ chooses to use. The one who has been called out of the world and continues to keep the world out of their lives. The one who has been cleaned out and allowed the Lord to refocus, repurpose, and remake them. The one who has sold out to Christ and continues to persevere in giving all of himself, his time, and his efforts. And the one who thrives and blooms and serves and reflects Christ wherever he has called him and sent him out. That's the life of a true disciple. That's the cost of true discipleship. Friend, have you counted that cost? Are, are you prepared to walk the path of true discipleship? There's no greater life. There's no greater calling in life. And there's no greater reward for such a life because that is God's greatest will for each one of us. That's his greatest desire for your life. Nothing pleases him more than a disciple completely sold out for him. Have you thrown in your lot with those who are all in for Christ? Have you dived in completely into the deep waters of true discipleship? Or are you just standing at the shoreline, toes in the water, testing out the temperature? Friend, make your life count. Make your life matter. Isn't it time to get off the shore and jump in, dive in? Isn't it time to start living the way God wants you to? Isn't it time to become a true disciple of Christ? Yes, the process may be a difficult one. It always is for the, the piece of clay that the potter molds and stretches and spins. But what's the end result? The end result is a beautiful vessel of honor that can be used by the Master in mighty ways. And it will be worth it all. It will be worth every pain, 
every tear, every struggle, every battle, every stand, it will be worth it all to enter those gates of heaven one day and hear the voice of the one who walked by your side every step of the way. Say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that you have called us to live lives of true discipleship. We understand what it entails, Lord. We, we, we understand the cost involved. We know it will not always be easy. It will not always be pleasant. We know there are storms that will come our way. We know that there are valleys we will have to walk through. But Lord, we are so thankful that you walk every step of the way with us. If that's what it takes, whatever it takes, Lord, we are willing. We want to live lives that are called out and worthy of our calling. We want to be cleaned out of our worldly thoughts, ways, and principles. We want to be completely sold out for you with all of our hearts, our minds, our time, and our effort. We want to endure and persevere through every circumstance, phase, and storm of life. And we want to serve and be your witness wherever you place us, Father. Thank you for wanting us. Thank you for loving us so much that you gave your only son to die for our sins and redeem us back to you. We pray now in the precious name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.